say no and when to go along with things. And we're all faced with that right now in our culture and going to be faced with it more and more, probably more than our parents, more than our grandparents. Billy Graham used to say that he was just the closer. He would bring, he'd go to have these big stadium events and he would bring out the values of the community, the highest values of the community and just get people to say yes to them because there was Christian stuff floating around in the community anyways and he would sort of close the deal by his altar call. And now the culture is telling us things that are not necessarily Christian. And we have to discern that. If Billy Graham was born right now, he'd have to have an entirely different way of doing things because the culture is not friendly often towards what we believe and what we have to say. And we're faced with challenges as believers. So Beyond Order is a sermon series on what to do once we've got some order in our lives. And the Bible gives us a lot of great order. It gives us a lot of guidance for our life. Just the Ten Commandments, the teachings of Jesus, give us sort of a, a way of putting our lives in order. And Jesus forgiving our sins on the cross frees us up to do all kinds of good things. But the truth is, the Bible says very clearly that we're not so much saved from something, although we are saved from sin, death, and the power of the devil, the Bible says. We're saved for something. We're saved for something. If you have a child and your child is going through a really difficult time, you want to rescue them from that, but not just to rescue them from the bad thing. You want to rescue them for the future of their lives. You want them to be rescued for something. And Jesus rescues us not so much from something, but for something. So once we get straight with the Lord, once we've said yes to Jesus, that begs the question, so what do we do now with that freedom that he gives us? What do we do? What is the walk of a believer once we've said yes to Jesus? One of my favorite guys in our, our men's group, Matt uh, Miller, when he was first coming to faith, he was going to churches, just checking them out. He was sort of exploring the faith. And, and everywhere he went, the same message, Jesus died for your sin. And he went up to a pastor after trying this several times. He says, this is a really thick book. Isn't there more in there than just that? Isn't, just, just, is, isn't there a little bit more about life in here than just getting your sins forgiven? Because once again, getting your sins forgiven is important. But the Christian walk is so much more than just a sin management system. It's about guidance for our life and living out the life God would have you live. His plan A for your life, whatever that is at this point. So we're talking about going beyond order. And today, we are looking at conflicting demands and when to say no and when to draw the line. When to stand up, as Kim was singing. When are you going to stand up and say no to certain things? Are there certain things we just sort of let slide off our back? You have to pick your battles. When do you push back on the culture? When do you just go along with what's going on? And we all face that at work. We all face that at school. If you're a school teacher in the public schools, you're facing that all the time because there's limits to what you can do and what you can't do. And we get into these, these issues. Our families have expectations of us. So why are you spending Christmas Eve with us? Uh, why can't you spend Christmas Eve with us? Because you spent it with the in-laws last time. That kind of thing. There's pressure from family. There's pressure to spend more time with your kids and your spouse. There's pressure to uh, take care of that troubling family member or that aging parent. There's pressure to do those things. 
there's also pressure from your job if you're out in the marketplace. Would you please do this? Uh, my wife and I have both been fired for refusing to do certain things that people asked us to do. And that's no fun because uh, you, you stand up for something and you're going to lose your job and you could lose your job. And that's kind of tough, especially when the economy goes up and down. And you think, of, how am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to do these things? How do I know when to say no? Because it could cost us. And in the early church, it cost people an awful lot and continued to uh, cost people an awful lot. I'm going to move to the, uh, there we go, the conflicting demands. We all continue to face, I'm not getting slide changes. So you want to go to the one where he's on the, uh, he's on the little cycle on the uh, tightrope there. There we go. I'm going to start this thing over and go with that. Hang on one second. If someone could get me, uh, uh, I'm going to give this to somebody and have them work through it. Can one of you guys grab this and restart it for me? That would be super. We're just going to go with the slides up here. Conflicting demands. We have conflicting demands from our family, from the culture, from our conscience, from all of those kinds of things. Let's go to the next slide. To thine own self be true, Shakespeare says. We're going to talk today about trusting your conscience when you're a believer. Trusting when that still small voice says, this is something you shouldn't be doing, even when there's pressure to do it. So the next one here. So the title today is Do Not Do What You Hate, Daniel and Your Conscience, Part 5. Those things that we don't want to do, those things that we actually hate, those things that are evil, those things that are wrong, and those things that people ask us to do. Now, this doesn't mean, if you're a teenager living at home, and your parents say, take out the garbage on Tuesday because they're coming on Wednesday. That doesn't mean don't do that because you hate it. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about things that are morally wrong, that things we were raised to say this is not the right thing to do. John over here is a CPA, and uh, he's lost some big clients. I mean, some big wealthy clients because he's refused to do some of the things they've asked him to do. And he's got some information on them and thought, you know, I really can't work with these people. And it cost him. And it will cost us. And that's hard to do. It's hard to stand up, as Kim was singing, hard to stand when those things happen. Next slide. So we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. And I'm very excited to be looking at the book of Daniel. And the reason for that is this. Daniel is the most useful book in the Bible for knowing when to say no and when to stand up for things. Why do I say that? Daniel was a really smart guy, and he and his friends were living in Jerusalem. The conquerors, the Babylonians, showed up and in 587 BC destroyed Solomon's temple, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and Daniel saw it happen. Daniel was hauled off into captivity in Babylon. Now, his captors were really smart. Who thinks that Jewish people are very well educated in general? Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed Jerusalem, realized that he had some really smart Jewish young people here. And they were an asset. The Jewish people have always been highly educated. They invented universal literacy. Why? Because they invented the alphabet. And you only had to memorize 22 symbols as opposed to lots of picture writing to be able to write. 
And so the Jewish people have always been highly, highly literate. And the bar mitzvah is basically just a reading test. You have to get up in front of people and read in Hebrew and basically interpret what it is you're reading when you're like 13. That's how that works. And so there's a high level of education. And so basically Jewish people have always risen into those number two seats. They end up riding shotgun with, with rulers all the time. There's a lot of Henry Kissingers out there who raise up to that spot of, of number two and sort of are in charge of a lot of things. They're really smart. They're highly educated. And Daniel was one of those people. And it continues to happen to this day. Lots of leaders in the world have Jewish people in their cabinets. Two or three of our nine Supreme Court justices are Jewish people. That they, tends to happen because they're so well-trained. So Nebuchadnezzar takes over Jerusalem, brings everyone into captivity, and keeps the smartest young people to work for him. Why? Because they can read. They can do all kinds of great things. They can keep track of things. They can administer. So Daniel's doing this, and the book of Daniel is a painful book for the Jewish people. The middle of the book is written, not in Hebrew, their home language, but Aramaic, the language of the conquerors. And that's why Jesus spoke Aramaic, because the, the Babylonians wiped out the, the Jewish culture, and all the kids grew up speaking Aramaic. There was a sociologist a while back who was going to do a study on Mexican-American kids who preferred Spanish. And he went looking, and there weren't any in California. If you were born here, if you were born here, every kid who was born here prefers English, every single one. And the same thing happened back then. The kids grew up speaking Aramaic, preferring Aramaic. They were in Babylon, and they could probably speak a little Hebrew with their parents and grandparents, but they... So the middle of the book is written in the language of the conquerors. And Daniel was a prophet. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see Isaiah... Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and right after that, you'll see Daniel, and then a bunch of minor prophets. In the Hebrew Bible, it's at the very end of the book. They demoted it to one of the writings. It, you look at this table of contents of a Jewish Bible, and Daniel's at the very end because it's written in part Aramaic, and they don't much like Daniel because Daniel went along with a lot of what Nebuchadnezzar said. He was good to his boss, even if his boss was a pagan, the person who conquered them and everything else. He went along with certain things, but with other things, he drew the line and stood. So he knew when to go along and when to stand up. And we all have to know the same thing. I had a youth pastor once who told me, and I used it when I was a youth pastor, don't, don't come up, don't decide where you're going to draw the line when you're in the back seat of the car. Know ahead of time and decide where your lines are going to be. Decide where your boundaries are ahead of time, not in the heat of the decision. Decide when you're going to stand up against your boss, when you're going to stand up against the country. And by the way, standing up against the government doesn't mean you're not patriotic. Patriotic people from time to time have stood up against the government and have been called patriots for it. Our whole country started that way. There are times when you have to do that. And knowing where that is ahead of time it's a good idea so you know what you're going to say when it happens. You don't want to come up with the words then. Wendy worked uh, in the first class lounge in the Minneapolis airport for years. And I'm sure this will shock you, but some of the wealthier people were um, somewhat high maintenance. And uh, they would come in and they would become what she called irates. And irates would, you know, go off on whatever. And Wendy had to come up with what she would say ahead of time. 
rather than come up with something in the heat of the exchange when the person's cussing and yelling at you and everything else. Come up with it ahead of time. Know where your line is and know what you're going to say, both of those. Come up with those things that you're just not going to do if you're asked to do that. And know what you're going to say when it happens. Knowing ahead of time is a really big key to knowing when you're going to stand and when you're going to go along. And Daniel was a master at threading the needle. He outlived so many tyrants. And each tyrant would adopt him because he was so useful. The Babylonians used Daniel to run all kinds of administrative stuff. And then the Persians beat up on the Babylonians. The Iranians took over Iraq, basically, and they got rid of the Babylonian Empire. And guess who they used? Daniel. Daniel just got passed along to these tyrants. And he worked really well with all of them, and he was loyal to all of them. And we have the same issue, don't we? We want to be loyal to our customers. We want to be loyal to our boss. We want to be loyal to our values. But who's ever been in a situation where those are in conflict? It, it's, yeah, do I, do I do the right thing by my, by my customer or by what the boss says? Because sometimes those aren't the same either. The boss is looking at profit and bottom line, and you're thinking about good service for the customer for long-term relationship, and that creates a real issue. What am I going to stand up for, and what am I going to go along with? So Daniel 6, 3 through 5. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, and satraps are people who are basically bureaucrats running like a county. And Daniel was now working under the Persians. So he's been handed off to the people who beat up on the people who destroyed Jerusalem. You have to be a master of, of relationships to pull this off. Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm because he was smart, educated, wise, had good experience. He'd run the Babylonian Excuse me, he'd run the Babylonian Empire. That's a lot of syllables. And now they asked him to run some stuff in Persia. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. He was faithful to who? To his boss. He was faithful to Darius, the Persian. And I thought, wow, we can't find any fault with him. Who thinks if one person stands out at work at, with excellence, Sometimes in the break room, other people are jealous. Have you ever seen that happen? It, it, it will happen. My goodness, that person's showing off. Uh, let's, let's level this a little bit. Let's uh, cut this person down to size a bit. And that's what they're thinking because Daniel is succeeding through virtue and through loyalty to his employer. He doesn't have any choice. There's no Jerusalem to go back to. So let's just do what we have to do while we're here. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Unless we go after his deepest convictions and faith, we're never going to find something against Daniel. Because Daniel is smart at threading the needle and we're not going to be able to get him. So there's a conspiracy of a bunch of bureaucrats who want to get rid of Daniel. And this happens all the time. Some of you have lost your jobs because of people like this, or you've lost your position, or... Who here has been passed over by someone who was less qualified because there was a few little whisperings going on in the back? This happens a lot. It happens a lot in the workplace. And this conspiracy moves on. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, and here's the writing. 
these people, these conspirators, came to came to uh, excuse me Darius, and they said, "Why don't you make a law of the Medes and Persians?" Now, the law of the Medes and Persians cannot be changed even by the king. And we used to use that uh, jokingly with our son when uh, he says, well, can't we just change that rule a little bit? No, this is the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. Those things happen in pastor's houses. So you just throw that out there. This is the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. And he'd just look at you like, that is so weird. But, but uh, so the king drafted a law that nobody could worship anybody for one month except for worshiping him. And look at most dictators and they'd be glad to sign something like that. They love to be the person that everybody's focusing on. They, unlike Kathy up here, they like to be the center of attention and they like to uh, make those things work. So Daniel knew about this thing having been signed. So did he, did he rub his boss's face in it? No, he didn't. Did he stay faithful to his God? Yes, he did. So he decided he would pray in private. He would pray in private. That way there'd be no conflict between being faithful to Darius and being faithful to his God. And the penalty was you'd be thrown in the lion's den if you got caught worshiping anyone but Darius. And this is why, folks, Jewish people have been persecuted throughout history. What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. Jewish people take that very seriously. I had a rabbi once tell me, it's okay if you're an atheist, he says, uh, but don't have more than one God. It's just because that's a big deal for them. They'd rather have you be an atheist than have lots of gods, because that's just that's just that's just what we call kryptonite for Jews, having more than one god. It's all through their Bible. You don't do that. So they'd rather you be an atheist than than have more than one god. So so these these dictators are thinking, yeah, I want to be God. People, it's happened in the lifetime of some of the older members of this church, although I don't think anybody here was old enough to see it. Some of our shut-ins were. In World War II, uh, Hitler created a greeting called the Hitler Gruß, the Hitler greeting, where you put your hand up, and uh, I did that really quickly, just to make sure it doesn't get on the, on the camera. Uh, and he'd have people say, Heil Hitler. Heil, folks, in, Ju in German, is salvation. So Hitler was saying salvation through Hitler. That's, that's, he was just doing the Darius thing. And tyrants tend to do that. Tyrants tend to get everything focused on them, and they want all power, and people who don't do it get in trouble. And this is why Jews have been persecuted all through history, because they continue to say, I can't do that. That's a line I can't cross. And Daniel is one of the heroes of that. So Daniel knew they were right, that this writing was signed. He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, and he's probably got a pretty nice house if he's second in charge of the empire, he knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. And he remained faithful to God without publicly breaking the law. He didn't want to embarrass Darius. didn't want to embarrass his boss. You see where he's threading the needle here and very carefully trying to work this out? Who thinks we never have to face these things in real life? People think the Bible is not relevant. I'm thinking, what aren't you seeing here? This is what we all go through. And you think, oh, that doesn't happen in churches. Folks, in denominations, we get told to do things which, which we have to say we can't do that. It's not, just, it's not just out there in the secular world. There's a lot of peer pressure to go along with certain things. 
Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. In other words, they're spying on him. They're spying on him, and they find out that he's praying. Supplication is just a fancy Latin word for praying. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The den of lions. The king answered and said, the thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter, which can't be changed. I know some of you are going to use that phrase at some point. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who's one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. He's praying to his God three times a day. Wow. So he got caught in this. Just like sort of being caught with an email nowadays. They say emails never die, so be careful what you put in emails. They're spying on him. And Daniel ends up in the lion's den. The king didn't want to put him there because the king valued Daniel. Daniel was a really value-added employee here. I don't want to do this, the Bible tells us, but I have to do it because the law of the Medes and Persians cannot be changed. So he throws Daniel in the lion's den and says, I hope you make it out, Daniel. May your God protect you. Not my God, not our God, but your God. May your God protect you. The guy was a pagan. May your God protect you. And he did. So who thinks this is a lesson we need to learn and also pass on to the next generation? When to stand up and when to say no. Who thinks this is getting better in our country? We're facing more and more stuff and crazy stuff out there. And all kinds of things we're supposed to do at work and all kinds of things we're supposed to say and all kinds of things we're supposed to go along with. I can't even imagine all these re-education things we have to go to. Here's some practicalities. Pay attention to little things. If you can be faithful in little things, it's practice for being faithful in bigger things. My grandfather, who was just a wonderful person, was Swedish and very honest, didn't like contracts because he believed your handshake should be good enough, and uh, probably never told a lie in his life. My grandfather was the school superintendent in Ketchikan, Alaska. And after school, which is not a real big deal, it's a small town. It's just like being the main teacher in a little town. So my mother got off of school around three, and my grandpa got off of work around five. And so she would come to his office in the school, after school, and she would color and draw and that kind of stuff while he was working because my grandma worked in a bakery. So she would do that when she was a little girl. And he made her bring her own crayons and pencils and paper because he didn't want her using school district stuff for her own coloring. That's kind of cool. There's a being faithful and honest and having integrity in little things and God giving us then authority over bigger things. And this doesn't mean every little thing uh, go along with everything they're saying. It means be honest in every little thing and be upright in every little thing. And uh, if you find a $20 bill on the, on, the, on the ground at your office, ask around to see who's lost it. We, had, uh, we were at dinner last night with, uh, with some friends and, up in Chino, and they took the road to Hana in Maui. And she realized after she got all the way back that she left her purse behind in Hana. And that's a long drive. She drove all the way back, and they kept it for her. That's, that's being faithful in a little... How much do you want to bet that person was blessed for that? It's, there's, that? 
The Lord blesses that kind of honesty. Wendy lost a purse on the commuter train in Chicago. Chicago is not known for, um, you know, it, 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 your wallet. Yeah, and got it back with everything in it. There's, uh, there's little things like that, which I think we have a chance to do almost every day, to be honest and upright about things. Uh, we talked once, we had a sermon once uh, all about tell the truth or at least don't lie. Telling the truth is hard sometimes because we often don't know the whole truth. We just we have our view on it. It's, it's hard to tell the truth, or at least don't lie. It's easy not to lie. Every time we're about to lie, our conscience goes, Doing, don't do that. There's a, there's a little yellow light on the dashboard saying, don't do that. And it really is easy never to lie. Not easy, but it's possible. It's possible not to lie. And being honest in little things like that can lead to bigger things. Number two, conscience trumps social duty. Your conscience is more important than your duty to the people around you. And we do have a duty to people around you. We do have a duty to, to our boss, our family, to our church, to our neighborhood, to our nation, to the government, to whatever. But when our conscience tells us, don't do this, it's important to find a way not to do it. Daniel found the way to do it by going up on the top of the roof and trying to find a way to do it without embarrassing his boss. There's ways to do it. There's often a way to make things work. Trust yourself if you are threatened with reprisals. Daniel was threatened with a reprisal in a big way. Thrown into the lion's den is not something most of us face. But we will be faced with social cost. I guarantee you that standing up for the right thing when there's pressure around you will cost you. It's cost me a few times. It will cost you. And it can go really badly. There's no promise that God's going to take care of you in that situation. In fact, when Daniel's three friends were thrown into the fiery furnace, they said, um, our God will take care of us. But if he doesn't, it's still the right thing to do, they say. If he doesn't, it's still the right thing to do. If we burn up in here, well, we burn up in here. That's just the way it is sometimes. There's no guarantee that we're going to have a happy ending at the end of all these things. Number four. Standing firm deflates corruption. You might think if you're in a big organization, like a big school district or a big corporation or a big church denomination, that standing up for something won't make a difference. It will. One person standing up can make a big difference in an organization. It tends to deflate corruption. And it tends to make people think twice. And the story gets around that you did that. And people start to think, okay, Maybe we should pay attention to this. You'd be surprised. In countries with high honesty scores, places in Northern Europe, the upper Midwest of the United States, there's way less corruption, and in Japan, by the way, there's way less corruption in those places than in most places in the world. Why? Because honesty is valued very highly in those places. And in places where honesty is valued very highly, there's very little corruption. Why? Because when people stand up, it makes a difference in the social system. In Japan, at a construction site, you can leave your power tools out and unlocked and come back, and they're there the next day. In the upper Midwest of South Dakota, we had some friends who lived nearby, and they said, you guys know anything about door locks? I said, why? Because we're going to go to California for a few months, and we probably should buy a lock for our door. They'd never locked it. Now, they had five rifles by the back door, but they didn't lock the... It, 
didn't uh, didn't lock the door. And nobody would steal in that. In fact, the jail where we lived in Kingsbury County, they closed the jail while they while we were there, because the sheriff said there's only one cop in the county. He says we haven't used it since the 50s, and it's costing us money to maintain it. Why don't we just say if we catch somebody, we'll bring them over to Huron? And so they closed the jail. That happens because people stand up and are honest, and that changes the system. Don't think that what you're doing won't matter. I bet you what Daniel did mattered in the system. I bet you it changed things. I bet you people took a second look at some of these things. Your standing up might cost you, but it might make a big difference in the culture, because that story will get told by other people. Listen for the Lord's still small voice. The Lord will tell you what to do. Ask the Lord, keep a prayer life going with the Lord so you'll know what to do when that happens. Lord, I'm in trouble here. Help me with this. Because sometimes we won't have thought about what to say ahead of time. There'll be an unforeseen situation, and boom, you're faced with it. What do I do in this situation? This happened. I worked in a nursing home after college, and I was in charge of lifting people and holding people down and uh, breaking up fights. Yes, they do have fights in nursing homes. And it's like it's like in a preschool sometimes. You have to learn how to restrain people without breaking their arms. And it was tough because we were required to brush all of their teeth by a certain amount of time, and we never had time to do it. And then we'd be asked, what are we going to record? And it was it would cost you if you didn't write down the truth about what happened. We had a young man at our church here who was a was a security guard, and he got a new security job, and he realized that making his rounds around the factory, um, you couldn't check all the things in the time allotted. There's no way. And he was an athlete. He could have easily. It wasn't because he was slow. And he told his boss that. He says, boss says, oh, at least a third of things just check. He says, I can't do that. I didn't check them. And he says, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I, I, and his boss was saying it's okay to cheat. And he says, I can't work here. And he stepped down and took a lower-paying job. I mean, there are times where those kind of things are important. And I bet you that changed what that boss was thinking. Somebody says, you know, I, I, I really need to give people enough time to do these things. Or get, at the nursing home, give people enough time to do the toothbrushing so they're not faced with the dilemma of whether they want to, they want to write down whether they did it or not. And by the way, for the record, I didn't write down that I brushed someone's teeth when I didn't. So that's just... And no one's going to fire you from a nursing home because they can't get anyone to work there. So that's just a whole other thing. You might get fired. Or if you don't get fired, you might get shunned by people by standing up and doing the right thing. And the farther up you go in an organization, the tougher the decisions get. HR decisions are not that easy. Having to know when to fire someone or when not to fire someone, those are hard. A lot of gray area in those things. And we need to stand on the Lord's guidance when those things happen. You might get fired, you might get shunned, and that's no fun. Last one, don't turn a blind eye when you see it happening around you. It's easy just to say, well, I'm not doing it, so I'm just going to walk by and just ignore this. And I'm not saying be a whistleblower on everything. I'm not saying be a tattletale. I'm not saying be the narc. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm just saying don't turn a blind eye when something bad happens around you that you can do something about, that you can actually say, no, don't do that. Or bring the person aside in private and say, without embarrassing, don't necessarily go to the boss and say, this person was cheating. Just say, can I pull you aside? Can we talk about this? 
and give that person a chance to do the right thing. And do it in a loving way, in a way that the person can hear it. Because very often we can make a big difference. Who thinks you'd remember a conversation like that if someone pulled you aside? Absolutely. I'm doing this because I care about you. And I think you're making a mistake by lying about this or being dishonest about that. And let's all just tell the truth about these things. Let's be on the up and up with what we're doing. It's a quick story here to, to close. Uh, I love this picture of the Chinese guy in Tiananmen Square who stood for the tank. I kind of wonder what happened to him. I, I, you, you do wonder because it's such an iconic news picture. But I really believe that most of us will be facing more stuff like this in the future than we faced in the past. I was at a pastor's gathering in uh, Palm Springs, a terrible place to be in a pastor's gathering on Saturday. It was 110 degrees. But uh, we were out there, and we were talking about how hard it is to get youth pastors right now because there's almost none available because almost no young people want to go into it. And we had one youth pastor there who said, I would never be a youth pastor now because the kids have so much... They've been indoctrinated to dislike everything we're trying to say. And it's so hard to, to do those things. I think we're facing a lot of challenges out there right now. And I think it's going to increase for a season. I don't know that for sure. Things could get great by next year. I don't know. But it looks the trend is not good. And we're facing more and more stuff. And a lot of people say, well, I'll just move to a state where it's easier to be honest. I'm thinking, okay, well, that might be what God's calling to you. But maybe he's calling you to be here and not abandon the whole thing here. I mean, it's, it's easy to move to Texas and say, well, at least in Texas, it'll be easier for me to, okay. But, but God might be calling you there and that might be totally legitimate, but God almost might, might be saying, maybe it's best to stay where it's hard. I'm sure Daniel could have gone somewhere where it was easier. It was, he's in the belly of the beast here, literally working, and this is no fun to do. So just think about that. My dad. Back in the 80s in Chicago, my dad was the pastor of Edison Park Lutheran Church. My dad was not a political activist of any kind. He was more or less confused politically. He went bounced around, voted for different people. He didn't put a lot into it. All he cared about was people getting saved. He was an evangelistic kind of guy. And so he wasn't politically wired at all. So what I'm about to say is not political. But Chicago at the time, it probably still is, was deeply segregated. Uh, there's only two or three mixed neighborhoods in Chicago. Most of them are one ethnicity. And Edison Park in north, the northwest side of Chicago is, was 100% white. And my dad was serving a church there, Edison Park Lutheran. And near Edison Park, there was an industrial park, and a black man and his family came to my dad's office and said, uh, we live on the south side of Chicago. It's an hour and a half to get to my work at this industrial park. If we could rent one of the church's houses, which was up for rent because they had several houses for missionaries and other things. If we could rent one of the church's houses, I could get to work in 20 minutes. Fantastic guy, highly educated, great kids. And my dad said, sure, I can do that. And the neighborhood went nuts. I mean, absolutely nuts. They called him before a neighborhood property owners committee. Cussed at him, yelled at him, called him all kinds of things. And my mom called me during the meeting and was screaming. She says, they're crucifying your dad. Whoa. <laughs> he said, you mean to tell me I'm going to tell this family to leave because they're black? 
And they said, that's exactly what we're telling you because our property value is going to drop. He said, I'm not going to do it. And people would cross the street not to walk on the same side of the street as he would. They would avoid him. The church backed him up. The church organized a 24-hour watch around that family's house. And they stayed. <laughs> and it wrecked my dad's health. And he died at age 70. Not right away, but his health. But he did say to me, I made a lot of mistakes. But that thing I did right. So, coming season. I hope none of you have to stand in front of a tank. I hope none of you get your health destroyed. But if everyone at the well knows ahead of time where we're going to draw the line, what we're going to say when we're asked to cross the line, we will not only do the right thing, we will change the society around us. I can invite the worship team up. I'd like us to think about the coming season. I just want to give thanks to Daniel for showing us the way to do this. When to stand, when to be loyal to the boss, when to make things happen. But if there's one thing I've learned while talking up here, just while talking up here, is it will make a difference and maybe a bigger difference than you think. We often think that if something happens to us that's bad, that's the end of the story, but it's not the end of the story. Standing for what is right will change the people around you, probably more than anything else you could do. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. Your word is just like it's today's newspaper. This is the stuff we deal with. And Lord, I grew up in a neighborhood that didn't always live by your values, but they affirmed them. And I don't know I can say the same thing for our kids right now. And Lord, uh, what we're doing here is uh, becoming, counter becoming countercultural. And Lord, I believe that uh, you're going to give through your Holy Spirit the power for every single person <laughs> to do the right thing at the right time when they're asked to do it. In fact, you're going to deploy people here to change the direction of things. I want to give you thanks for my John, my friend John here, Lord, who uh, I admire so much, sitting right here in church. And he showed me that uh, you can stand up for integrity and against corruption. And even though it costs you, you can continue doing that. And Lord, I believe that he changed that person 
that client that he fired. I give you thanks, Lord, for my wife who uh, stood up uh, at the law firm she was working at in Chicago and uh, ended up paying for that. And Lord, I pray that you would lift all fear out of our hearts, that we would have the courage to do what is right when you ask us to do it. We listen to that still small voice that we would trust ourselves when we hear your voice. And that we'd have the courage to lose some things if we do some things. And we know you'll be with us there every step of the way. For we want to live, Lord, for your glory, not for the systems around us which might be corrupt from time to time. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This life I live finds meaning 
and surrender. forward and pray a blessing over people. Dan's been through a challenging year. Kind of been in the lion's den a lot. And, uh, just give you the mic here. Just invite you all to stand up and open your hands to receive a blessing. Hallelujah. Thank you for a beautiful day today. We want everyone to be able to stand up for God's glory. Mm. That it's it's all about you. It's not about us. More of you and less Amen. of us. And we thank you as we go about this week that we become what God intended us to be when he created us. Mm -hmm. So we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Have a great week. See you next week. Find out what was wrong with that. Uh, uh, Just old. No, I turned it on the local.